what I, the reason I actually really like investing in Bitcoin is because people keep mentioning what's wrong with it. Yeah, great. That's stuff that it can work on. There's room to improve and add value. This is Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host, Ferris, that's me, and Gordon from Coin Compass. We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy, manage, and control their private keys, Bitcoins. This podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. Welcome everyone again. And uh, this time I'm going to let Faris actually take the mic for what is called Bitcoin halving. What exactly is Bitcoin halving, Faris? Oh, good morning, everyone. And um, or whatever time of day it may be to you. Thanks, Gordon. Um, to me, the Bitcoin having, I actually think, is probably the most ingenious aspect of uh, the creation of Bitcoin. So we find Bitcoin's store of value um, is not just in the proof of work, it's decentralization, but the capped supply of 21 million coins. To me, what really amazed me about, the, um, about Bitcoin itself is how the Bitcoins are released as far as their time periodicity. So, periodicity, sorry. So every 10 minutes when the block is released, that's when Bitcoins are mined or create a, a block reward. So when Bitcoin was first came out in the Genesis block, it was 50 Bitcoins. And then two years later, on average two years later, it's every 200,000 blocks. That is halved to 25. We're now at 12 and a half. And next year, we're expecting another halving of six. And then, you know, 200,000 blocks after that one, it's going to be three and so on and so forth. So what this does is by steadily decreasing how Bitcoins are released, it's actually hedging Bitcoins against inflation. Now, I've spoken for a while here, Gord, maybe you want to ask me, gosh, Ferris, what is inflation? Gosh, Ferris, what's inflation? But before that, am I going to lose half my money when the halving happenings? Oh, gosh. No, that's a good point. So what you won't lose half your money because this is new supply coming into the market. It doesn't affect existing supply. So let's think of it this way. Um, let's take, for example, uh, Ferraris. Let's say when Ferrari first came out, they made... 5,000 Ferraris for two years. Two years after that, went down to 4,000. Two years after that, went down to 3,000. And eventually, it's going to get to a point where Ferrari says, we're only going to make one more car. Now, as a business, that doesn't benefit them. They're, you know, That last Ferrari, yeah, sure, will get a lot of money, but then they go out of business. But people who own Ferraris, those Ferraris would be more valuable because they're not going to make any more of them. And that's what they say about real estate. Or real estate always goes up because you're not going to make any more of it. Yes, that's true. Not we can always go higher with skyscrapers. But something that is guaranteed to diminish in supply, well, you're only going to see um, uh, a growth in demand. And even if you don't see a growth in demand, you'll basically see a stability in price. With economics, essentially, if there's more supply than demand, prices go down. If there's more demand than supply, prices go up. Bitcoin was designed for the supply to gradually come down. Why, why do you think Satoshi did that? Like, what was the design behind uh, Bitcoin halvening like every four years or whatever it is? Um, so two reasons. One is 
and this is obviously just a presumption. I have not had the privilege of meeting Satoshi and asking them myself. And I say, them Craig Rice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that joke's ever going to get old. <laughs> I'll keep on saying. Um, yeah. Because I do believe that Bitcoin was created by a team of people, not a single individual. So if we look Craig, at right? fiat currency, if we look at fiat currency, um, essentially it's just printing more money. They, they can, governments can print unlimited amounts of money. And what that does is the more you create a something, the less it's valued. So what we've seen since 2008 is central banks have been printing a lot of money. And that money is actually valued less. So what we are actually seeing inflation in products, not in cash. So when I say there's inflation, it means if you put money in the bank and you're getting a higher interest rate every year, inflation is going up. So if you take out a term deposit, it's 4% this year, 4.5%. Next year, 5% in 2022, inflation is going up. We're not seeing that. Inflation is going down. But where is inflation going up? Inflation is going up in the stuff you buy every day because the value of your money is going down. The value of what the things that you're buying, your utilities, your services, groceries, um, you're actually using more money to get less. So inflation is going up in our consumables, but not in our money. Bitcoin's the other way around because Bitcoin, they're not printing more, they're printing less. So therefore, Bitcoin is gaining in value. And just by converting U.S. dollars into Bitcoin, well, what you're actually doing is avoiding that deflation in the U.S. dollars itself. You're going, well, why do I want to own the U.S. dollars when it's worth less? If I move to Bitcoin and my Bitcoins don't even change in value, they stay the same, then you've actually already made money because you've taken your money out of U.S. dollar circulation, which is designed to fall in value. Yeah, so one of the criticisms though and that and that makes sense in terms of supply if you're halving the supply limiting the supply the price should go up but one of the criticisms uh, with bitcoin and the design is that the finance supply 21 million and the halving of the circulating supply is actually encouraging people to save and not spend bitcoin so it's sort of drying up the liquidity um, I don't know if it's drying up the liquidity. It is encouraging people to save and not spend. Absolutely. And you know, we've got the International Pizza Day when it was celebrating the day that two pizzas were bought for 10,000 Bitcoins. And this is something that's known as Gresham's Law, where people will spend their um, bad coins or spend funds that are valued less and hoard what they value, what they believe will appreciate in value. Um, and yeah, this is something that we've wrote, written about in Bitcoin Begins, which you can get to off of our website. Um, so and my opinion is that over the course of my lifetime, um, Bitcoin will actually be used less and less as an everyday currency, even though it can be, um, especially with the Lightning Network, and it will be used as a store of value. So you'll find Bitcoins will be used to pay for things $100,000 or more but not so much for your everyday items unless you know, it's convenient or a real necessity. Why would you um, want to spend it if you're assuming that the price is going to go up? Though? You don't want to be the $10,000 pizza guy, 10,000 Bitcoin pizza guy. Yeah. So I don't think you want to spend it. And this is when it comes down to two things. Are you trading your Bitcoins or are you holding your Bitcoins? If you're holding your Bitcoins and you're a long-term investor, you're not going to spend them. 
if you're trading your Bitcoins, you're looking at the price every day, you're panicking that you had another 20% drop in 48 hours, then you're probably going to sell them. And again, trading Bitcoins is not something we encourage. You know, they say you learn lessons the soft way and the hard way. Me and you, Gortz, have learned this lesson both the hard way and the soft way. We learned it the hard way several times. Don't trade your Bitcoins, just hold them. Um, but the reason I say I don't think it'll be used as a currency in my lifetime, even though it actually is the best currency out there, is because the final halving will take place in the year 2140. And this is something we've written about in our November newsletter, which you can access online. It explains the hot halving in detail. And 2140 is when the last Bitcoin is expected to be created. At that point, no more will be created. And that's when I think Bitcoin will be used as an everyday currency. Just uh, going down the rabbit hole even further. So 2140, and there are no more Bitcoins to be mined. What do, how is the network going to be secured and what's going to happen to the Bitcoin network in 2140? So when I say used as a currency, I mean, it'll still be used as a currency between now and then, but that won't be its primary use. Between now and 2140, who knows what Bitcoin is going to be doing for. It, the Bitcoin blockchain hasn't even started its true potential. Um, and that is the tokenization or the digitization of so many industries. So it's obviously a long way off, but what happens in 2140 when the Bitcoin mining is stopped? Does that mean Bitcoin disappears and the Bitcoin network is no longer? No, I don't think so. So, and I'll just use the, the um, gold as an equivalent. So we're still mining gold, but gold miners, even when the price of gold drops, where it is not profitable for gold miners to mine gold, they'll still keep mining it. So, and it depends on the mine. So if gold, for example, drops below $1,200, some mines, um, it's not profitable for them to mine it, but they're still going to mine it because they think, well, at some point, the gold price will go back up. So with Bitcoin, it, I think once... To, yep. In 2140, the Bitcoins being released will have dried up. There's no more block rewards. Yeah, so what I presume will happen then is that's when I believe the price of Bitcoin um, will only be affected by geopolitical events or what's happening with other currencies. Because at the end of the day, we're still comparing Bitcoin to other currencies. And what I believe will happen then is you won't get so much volatility in the price of Bitcoin, but it will react as a risk-off hedge. So what I mean by risk-off is in, so when you get a crash in stock markets, um, gold tends to go up because gold is seen as a safe currency. So that's where Bitcoin, and we've actually seen this year, 2019, there's been a very strong correlation between gold and Bitcoin. And that's the first time we've had that strong correlation. So this is where I see the role of Bitcoin as a store of value. 2140, who knows, people could end up using it as a currency. I think the um, petroleum industry will try to get off the US dollar and potentially use Bitcoin. And I think that's a really good use case because whenever you fill up your car with petrol, doesn't matter what country you're in, there's been a US dollar transaction involved. And a lot of countries like Iran, Russia, China want to get off the US dollar. Bitcoin could be an alternative. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and who knows what's going to happen in 100 years, but uh, Bitcoin's got such a first mover advantage and network effect that I can't see it going anywhere, even if it's just a complementary currency to other currencies. Other new currencies we don't even know about yet. Sorry, Rosie. Yeah, one thing you brought up I wanted to mention is why did Satoshi Nakamoto set it up this way? 
So in the Genesis block, the first block that was released, Satoshi Nakamoto made reference to the Guardian newspaper on that day. And the headline was, um, a bank in England was being bailed out. So government was basically giving a private corporation a lot of money because they made a mistake. So that was a political statement. So what we've seen in the last few months is that, um, uh, it was just last month, sorry, recently, the repo market. So if you're listening to this, I highly recommend you read about this. So the repo market, which basically means, so a lot of banks will own assets. And they need, to, at the end of the day, they kind of need to, um, oh, how do I put this? They, they basically need to square off their accounts. So they're not going to sell their assets and then buy them the next day just to square off the books. So what they do is they'll borrow money from another bank to say, look, we, you know, we've overextended. We just need to borrow some money to prove that we have X amount of liquidity on the books. And then we pay you back the next day. And there's an overnight repo rate. So just a couple of percentage, a couple of percentage points just to buy, just to borrow money overnight. So if I would go to say I'm Bank of Ferris, I'll go to the Gordon International Bank and I would say, look, I need $20 million tonight. I'll pay you back tomorrow and you just charge me 2%. This happens every night around the world. It's called the repo market. What happened recently was the repo market blew up. I went up to, I think, 10%. Uh, just double check these figures if you're listening. But literally just skyrocketed. And no one knows why. Um, a lot of people will say, we, we know why, but I don't think anyone does. Um, and what's been happening is the Federal Reserve Bank of America has basically been printing $80 billion um, and giving it to banks because they're funding that re overnight repo rate. So don't, something big has happened. They don't know how to explain it, but they're just printing money and giving it to banks. Mm, sounds like they're trying to fix the uh, deck chairs on the Titanic to me. Let's Basically. get back to the Bitcoin halving because that's the name of our podcast and uh, episode of our podcast. If I go to the halving some people call it halving. Some people call it halvening. If I go to thehalvening.com, I see that in 23,700 blocks time, and for humans who don't understand that, that's around about May 15th, 2020, there is going to be a Bitcoin halving, which happens apparently every four years or 210,000 blocks. What's going to happen on that day or around about that time, and will I get rich? <laughs> so with stuff like this, there's a saying, um, buy the rumor, sell the news, or buy the rumor, sell the fact. And we did look into this in our newsletter, and because we haven't had that many halvings, this will be the uh, third or fourth? 25, third. 25, fourth, third. The fourth. The fourth, fourth yeah. Third. <sighs> Let's edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with halvings, okay. With halvings, this will be the third. It's just too short a history to determine a trend. Um, so yeah, with buy the rumor, sell the fact. Um, and then it's hard to tell. Uh, I mean, people are talking about it now, which means the price is already factored in. You know, the halvening is, is priced in. Um, there's the other factor that in 2017, I mean, Bitcoin was the only thing everyone talked about. It really was the zeitgeist. And that absolutely, you know, um, skyrocketing price from $600 to $20,000, there is still a lot of people that got burned by that. And markets have long memories. 
So Tone Vase, I think, said he's not expecting a bull market till 2022, which would be ideal for us long-term Bitcoiners because we can just buy and buy and hold. And if we can get more and more Bitcoins under 10,000, I think that is just a bargain of a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Dollar cost averaging, people, don't uh, try and get the exact bottom. Just buy in every periodical, whether it's weekly, monthly, or whatever, just um, dollar cost average. So every man and his dog on Twitter, TradingView, blog, or whatever, creates a chart, and they create a chart of the halving. So I'm looking at a website now that I'll put in the show notes. The first halving, which was November 2012, the block reward, so every 10 minutes, uh, Bitcoins get mined, went from 50 to 25. The price rose by 500%. And then there was another bull run of 1,700%. In the second halvening, July 2016, the block reward went from 25 to 12.5 Bitcoin. And the price increased by 200%. And then there was another bull run of 2,800%. Third halvening, May 2020, uh, next year, so we're recording this on December 3rd, 2019, the block reward will go from 12.5 to 6.25. Is history going to repeat itself? Or as you said, we just don't have enough data because Bitcoin's still new and all the models are kind of fitting things to suit their needs. Yeah, so with that, a, we don't know if history is going to repeat itself because there's just not enough history to compare it to. If you ask me what is my opinion, my opinion is it's not going to go up. And the reason being is because markets are made up of people and Bitcoin is a completely different asset class. But at the end of the day, it's people that are buying and selling it. And you talking about that chart just reminded me of a whole bunch of charts that were going around in 2017. Everyone's saying, here's what happened to the stock markets in a November when the year finished in a seven. And like the 87 crash, um, the 97 crash, and I think 57 had one as well. And um, everyone was expecting a huge crash in the stock market in November, you know, um, 2017. It was a perfect storm, but it never happened. The market went up. And simply because everyone was talking about it, and markets like to prove the most amount of people wrong. That's what markets do, they take money away from the majority of people. And if the majority of people believe this is what's going to happen, you're probably going to find that that's not what's going to happen. Yeah, okay. But on that course, I am not encouraging people to be a contrarian trader. I've tried to short the stock market several times and got burnt. So do not be a contrarian trader just on that thing that I just said. Fair enough. Buy and hold Bitcoin. So yes. on that, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of Plan B's uh, stock flow model. It predicts mm -hmm. Bitcoin, I think it was 90,000 after 2020. So that's like a year, sorry, about six months after the halvening. One of the arguments against that, though, was that basically it just concentrates on the supply, not the demand. What mm -hmm. do you think of his model? So with that, um, two factors are in there. It's price and the timing. So with markets... You can, you can get one right, but it's very hard to get both right. That's where you make a lot of money, when you get the price and the timing right. So I do like stock to flow uh, is something I, I – because that's just math. And that, I really do like the stock to flow model. But as far as the timing, that, to me, that's more of an opinion. Um, again, it's people who are buying and selling. It's the math can add up, 
and I'll use a stock market as um, an example again. So right now, and I, as of yesterday, I just saw this morning when I woke up in NASDAQ and American equities had a decent correction. So as of yesterday, and actually the markets are still very overvalued. By any metric, this is the most overvalued market in history. So just on math alone, it should come down. But what's different? The difference is governments are printing money. Banks are using that money to buy more stocks. Companies are using that money to buy more stocks. So things have changed a bit in that money is freely available. So, yeah, I agree with stock to flow. Um, as far as the timing, there's still people involved that need to buy and sell. And you don't know when they're going to do that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But some of the criticisms against that stock to pro ratio and plan B's model is that it only considers the supply. So obviously the supply is halving, but it doesn't consider the demand. Now, if the demand is going to be relatively the same, one would assume if you halve the supply and the demand's the same, the price would go up. Is it that simple? Yeah, but if the demand is the same and the supply decreases, yes, price goes up. That's just basic, basic economics. So if demand goes down faster than the supply rate, then price should come down. But there's still a lot of other presumptions here. Um, I mean, that is just the math model. So again, I, I don't think the world has come around to accepting Bitcoin as a store of value. Me and you do. A lot of Wall Street pundits who are very anti-Bitcoin and look up guys like Keith McCulloch and um, Tony Greer, um, and there's another one I'm thinking of, very, very anti-Bitcoin. I've actually come around and say, okay, I get this now. Raul Powell is another one, actually. Um, he was very pro-Bitcoin and anti-Bitcoin. Now, not anti-Bitcoin, kind of lost, lost faith in the story. Now he's back. So people are, are getting there. And we're talking about incredibly smart people that are just now turning into Bitcoin. So the rest of people don't even understand it, much less how to buy it, keep it safe. So once people really understand how Bitcoin works, its relevance in today's QE economies, then I believe demand will go up. So if the shine boy tells you to buy Bitcoin, that's the time to basically, it's jump the shark. Time to sell. Yep. Well, that actually did happen, and that was mania in the ICO stage. But again, there was, there was still a huge misunderstanding what Bitcoin was. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that, is a, that is basically how that theory works. And there is a lot of credibility to it. Um, yeah, there's a reason we live in a world of the one percenters, because they actually control a lot of the information. But that now is, um, that now is changing. So companies like Macro Voices and Real Vision are bringing to us information that never used to be available to us. And Twitter is brilliant for this. Like we have had interactions with hedge funds, uh, hedge fund managers that control billions of dollars on Twitter. Now, in, in the past, we've had to sit, you know, put $100,000 into their account, just have um, a five minute coffee with them. But now we're getting free interactions with them on Twitter. Yeah, it's incredible. I troll Z CZ almost every day. Unbelievable. Yeah. So. Is I mean, there, there's such a narrative, like as you said before, there's there's such a narrative behind it. The harvesting you you can't go past a website or a Bitcoin blog to not hear about it. Is it like does does the does the narrative influence the price or the price influence the narrative? Like, um, am I am I fat because I don't go to the gym or <laughs> I don't go to the gym because I'm fat? 
Which I one? say the pr- I would say the price influences the narrative. Um, so to me, if you had all the information in the world at your disposal, but you could only pick one thing to look at, what would that be? It would be a chart. Yeah, a chart. And I've been trading for about five years now, and my charts are basically just one line on it, one moving average and volume. That's it. So I look at naked charts at the moment because I just find everything else is noise. And the chart tells the story. And what will happen is, okay, Bitcoin's going up. Why is Bitcoin going up? Let's find the story. And we're, we're talking about the happening. Everyone's talking about the happening. But the price of Bitcoin is not going up. It's in a bear market. Because and, it's already every, priced in or because price that's usually what I follows I believe. So two things. I believe it's priced in. But also there's still so much froth that was left over from that 2017 um, uh, 2017 bull market that a lot of people have been burnt. So it's still a short memory. Do you have, is there any merit in comparing the Bitcoin halvening to the last Litecoin halvening? Uh, I don't think so, simply because the people that were involved in a Litecoin halvening was, would have been very, very few people. Um, you know, majority of people don't even know what Litecoin is. They wouldn't even know that Litecoin had a halvening. So I, I don't think so. Litecoin is the silver to Bitcoin's gold. Yeah, we know that. Most people don't. Yeah, I would still wouldn't buy it. So that's covered the halvening, halvening quite well. But um, one of the concerns is actually with the miners. So in 2020 or May 2020, if the mining rewards are halved from 12.5 to 6.25, then even though there's some big players mining, there's still some relatively small players they probably won't find that profitable anymore because they've got to pay for their electricity and rent and so on and so forth. So is that going to be a problem in terms of increased centralization and security concerns of the Bitcoin network going forward as less and less block rewards get distributed to miners? Gordon, that sounds like a question you should be answering. (laughs) Absolutely not. This is a game theory economics question. Not a technical question. what I like... What I, the reason I actually really like investing in Bitcoin is because people keep mentioning what's wrong with it. And this reminds me of an interview I saw with Jeffrey Gonlack, who runs Double Day Capital. He's considered the um, bond king. So basically, the, he, he's, he's a market mover. He'll make comments and he can influence the markets. And he said that someone once said to him, oh, you need to buy this product. It's AAA rated, X, Y, Z. He goes, but there's no room for improvement. So you're buying the best house on the best street. The only way that's going to improve in value is if everything around it goes up. But what if you buy the house next door, which is dilapidated? You work on that house. You bring it up to the same value as the more expensive house. So when something's got room to improve, that's when you want to be investing. When there's no room to improve, it's at the top. So when people say, oh, Bitcoin's electricity supply, Bitcoin's this, Bitcoin's that, you're like, yeah, great. That's stuff that it can work on. There's room to improve and add value. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time. Disclaimer. 
Any content provided by Coin Compass or the Bitcoin Basics podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. Coin Compass or the Bitcoin Basics podcast will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit coincompass.com for more information and please contact us.